The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back into another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. It's been a very busy week across the NFL. It feels like we've had different stories pop up Every single day, uh, Ben Roethlisberger has a bad hip. Urban Meyer just keeps digging his own grave in Jacksonville. Vic Fangio's upset at the Ravens for caring about an impressive team record. And all of this was before the Cowboys released linebacker Jalen Smith. And then the Patriots announced this morning that they were going to release Stefan Gilmore. So we've got an absolutely loaded show today. Uh, I want to stop wasting time. I'm joined by Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. and Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. We all happen to cover a team that could really use a player like Stefan Gilmore, but none of our wishes came true today. As it was just reported in the last hour, the Panthers are going all in on the Sam Darnold window, acquiring Stefan Gilmore from the Patriots for a 2023 sixth round pick. Do we have to start taking the three and one Panthers a little bit more seriously with that defense? If he's healthy, this will help. There's no doubt about that. It would have been great to see JC Horn and Stefan Gilmore on the same side. But, I mean, people are acting like Gilmore is washed up just because he's 31. The last time he played, he was not bad at football. The next time he plays, he's probably not going to be bad at football because, yes, he's coming off an injury, but he's he's had a long time to recover. I feel like there's been a few reports saying that, you know, he's good to go. He's healthy. And he can practice, so that'll go a long way too. Um, as long as Sam Darnold's on their team, I still don't know about that. But – I mean, he's he's been looking better and better. He's actually running the ball, which we've talked about for other young quarterbacks. It's great that their offensive coordinator understands that Darnold is an athlete. Um, their defense continues to get pressure. They just ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw this last week. So I think it still remains to be seen, even though we should probably have an idea of what the Panthers are. I want to see them go against another contender just to see if, you know, they can they can compete. What do you think, Justice? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my worry coming into this past week game, right, is how real is this Carolina defense? Um, Because they really hadn't seen very good wide receivers. They hadn't seen very good quarterbacks. And then, you know, Dallas kind of did what they wanted against them, um, which is no shame against them. I mean, I I don't think that 
Carolina is a bad defense by any means. It's just it's hard to stop an offense like the Dallas Cowboys and the Panthers aren't armed for it. Um, I think, you know, losing J.C. Horn, especially like he was their press guy. Right. If we need to go up and we need to press someone and we just need to make sure that guy doesn't get off the line. That's what Horn's job was supposed to be. Um, so getting getting Gilmore in to kind of replace that, I think, is going to help. The the one thing that I have a question about is, do they think this is a like, okay, are they only having Gilmore for one year, right? Because that that's a lot of money. I mean, that that's why he only got traded for a six round pick. Right. It was because of his salary. His salary. It was his salary, not his talent, that is limiting what his like exchange value is, right? So that's kind of my question: is like, what what does the what do the Panthers look like long term, right? Because that's a pretty big move for someone to make that's like not contending that's why people were talking about you know the green bay packers who are in the last dance type of situation um rather than a team that seems like they just kind of found their quarterback so the panthers had 19 million in cap space gilmore's going to count for i believe like 5.8 to 6.6 million dollars somewhere in that range just for the rest of this year they picked up darnold's option so now that is going to make things tricky for next year, just as far as the salary cap goes. So yeah, that's a good question. Um, will he be worth it if they make the playoffs for the salary that he's on? I feel like that's going to be worth it, no matter what, right? Oh yeah, Joe Brady. Uh, Joe Brady will be a huge advocate for that. He'll be like, oh yeah, I'm getting a head coaching job now. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. I think Joe Brady is going to be one of the hottest head coaching candidates this offseason. So capitalize on that Joe Brady led offense right now because. Yeah, the Panthers aren't the Chiefs or the Cowboys offensively with Sam Darnold, but they've got enough weapons. DJ Moore is having a stellar season so far. If they get a healthy Christian McCaffrey, like you like the weapons for the Panthers. They can score, maybe not with the elite offenses in the NFL, but that defense is exciting and it's young and it's talented. And you had a former defensive player of the year like Stefan Gilmore, especially after losing rookie J.C. Horn, who looked fantastic in the limited role that he had. Like The Panthers are a good football team. Like it's The Bucs are clearly the best team in that division, in my mind, but I don't think anybody expected this Carolina Panthers defense to be quite this talented, and then you add a player like that, assuming he's healthy once he comes off the pup next week. Yeah, and one, one quick thing about Carolina and just their offense in general. The, the biggest thing for that team – they have speed at wide receiver. They're not necessarily taking deep shots. They catch everything on the move, man. Everything is on the move and everything is yak yards. And that just, it, it kills teams when they're catching over the middle and it, it goes from, hey, this throw was five yards downfield and now it's going for a gain of 25, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing a lot with Carolina right now. Part of that is the reason why I still don't believe in Cliff Kingsbury because they're still running stagnant routes. And you just see the difference. Uh, you get a guy like DJ Moore, you get a guy like Robbie Anderson on the move, on the run. Those are four, three guys. It is tough to keep up with them when they are already catching the ball on the move. And as you can see, a guy like DJ Moore, who's a freaking tank, apparently, um, defenders at the third level are going to struggle to tackle guys who are that fast and who just run that hard. The other biggest story of the day in the NFL Bears head coach Matt Nagy opened his press conference today, said that Andy Dalton is going to return to practice and he's expected to practice in full this afternoon. And then he slid it in afterwards, but Justin Fields is our starting quarterback moving forward. So 
the day we've all been waiting for, and it was apparent last week why Justin Fields should be the Chicago Bears starting quarterback. It's official. Justin Fields is the guy moving forward. I think we're all absolutely thrilled on this podcast. It wasn't great last week, but you saw the big-time throws that Justin Fields is capable of making, and they haven't even really utilized his rushing ability. Like, If you're a Chicago Bears fan, you have to be just absolutely psyched today. Yeah, Steve Young was on the uh, Monday Night Football uh, pregame show, and he was appalled at the idea that like Andy Dalton could be starting moving forward. He was like, "Wait, did you guys see what Justin Fields did this weekend? He had he had some glib- he had like uh, some flashes, right? Just build on that. It, it it was as simple as that type of conversation. the The issue with Nagy right now, and I mean, we keep riffing on this damn guy every week just because he keeps giving us content, but. It really looks like he's rudderless, right? Like he's just he's he's finally made the right decision, but there's been absolutely no process other than everyone collectively bullying him into making the right decision that led to that. And it seems I mean, dude, you, you might lose your job to your offensive coordinator. Like if if this gets if this gets spun right and it's like, no, Bill Lazor is the guy who like knows what to do with Justin Fields. They're not going to move on from Bill Lazor. They're just going to promote his ass. To be clear, this was probably a Bill Lazor thing. Um, he's been calling plays, or he called plays last game. Nagy said it was the most comfortable he's ever felt just being in tune with all three phases of the game last Sunday. And sure enough, <laughs> Nagy gets out of the way. And I want to be clear that, you know, having the Lions does help. There's no doubt about it. But where Fields was putting the ball, there's no defense for that. Like, that was not a Lions issue. That was just a Fields being good thing. And I feel like that is okay. And we have to separate those two things. So um, we, he got back to just what we talked about last week. He got back to running play action. He got back to moving the pocket. He got back to throwing the ball beyond five freaking yards. And sure enough, the, ta- the quarterback who had arguably the most arm talent in the draft got to show off that arm talent. And we saw what happened when he was able to throw the ball down the field. And you mentioned not being able to or not – including fields in the running game. I feel like that will just be another layer that they can add to that offense, but he's just a special talent. And the fact that we had to pretend that this was a competition and pretend that this was a thing for a month of the season is pretty silly. But now that Nagy's out of the way, I'm pretty excited to see what fields will bring to the table against a defense that, you know, isn't just the Lions now. Uh, And it's a totally borderline fireable offense like that it took this long that we had to do this each and every week and pretend like he wasn't eventually going to be the starter and now Andy Dalton's healthy and I don't know if it's legitimately just been a power struggle with the Chicago Bears between the head coach and the front office and everything that's going on there. But I have to imagine that Matt Nagy is not going to be the head coach of the Chicago bears after this season, unless Justin Fields just becomes the starter and they go absolutely insane. But the bears are are a team that's not really built to win right now. They've got plenty of holes. Their offensive line is absolutely terrible, but we can all celebrate Justin Fields moving forward and hope that he thrives. The biggest thing for Nagy, man, Look, even if you're not calling plays, you better be in those meetings with Justin Fields every single day. Because what if once you lose the reins to Bill Lazor, I mean, it it could be over for you. Like we we've seen this play out before. We've seen Freddie Kitchens be able to pull this political move and and land the head coaching job. Don't let it happen to you, Nagy. Don't let it happen to you. 
does Nagy get credit for Justin Fields outrunning a safety and picking up a first down? Does he get credit for the plays that he's making with his arms where he's looking off a safety, throwing the ball 50 yards in the air, um, or putting the ball or putting the game away on third down? Uh, he made an unblocked defender miss. Andy Dalton does not do that. If it were up to Nagy, Dalton would still be playing. So Nagy's process has been wrong this entire time. And if the Bears are judging off of process instead of results, then this should be a no-brainer, man. And that's the problem. That's the situation that he's put himself in where you can't get credit for anything he does now because you didn't want him in the first place the way you acted this entire time. So if he comes in, everyone's going to assume it's because your offensive coordinator is the one that's putting him in the best position to win. He completely dug his own grave here, and it's been astounding to really watch. I don't, I, I'm trying to think of another instance where I've seen a head coach battle a rookie starting quarterback this much, but he's not going to get credit for anything that Justin Fields accomplishes this season. And and that was one thing he was pushing back on when he said, you know, Lazer's calling the plays where – he makes it very clear, right? Ultimately, everything goes through me. Ultimately, everything goes through me. Ultimately, everything goes through me. Well, okay. I'm sure you could say, like, you have opinions on certain things, but, I mean, Lazer's got the keys right now. It is what it is. Yeah, it's just, it's him continuing to try to assert that I'm the man in charge. Yeah. I'm the guy that runs this organization. And... Once you had to limp into that press conference today and kind of be like, yeah, Andy's returning to practice today, but uh, Justin Fields is our starter moving forward. Like everybody knew, all right, he's not calling the shots anymore. This was, this was from above. Thank you. We get to see Justin Fields play now. So I think, uh, I think I speak for the podcast saying we're all very excited to see how that develops. And we hope that Justin Fields is an absolute stud. One of our most popular topics of conversation on this show, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer. Urban, of course, made headlines over the weekend when he decided to stay in Ohio after the Jags lost to the Bengals on Thursday night football. And then a video of him uh, with a girl that was not his wife circulated on social media uh, Urban then made it worse on Monday when he had a press conference and was just staring into the ground the entire time and not <laughs> looking the media in the eye. And then there's reports that they're having closed door meetings, like it's all falling apart in Jacksonville to the point that owner Shad Khan has to release a statement. Then Urban speaking to the media again today saying he's never even considered resigning Jacksonville. It's all falling apart. And at no point during any of this do I think that there is a point in history where you could point to NFL Twitter and media saying hiring this guy is the worst decision you can possibly make. And we nailed it across the board. Like it's been a total unmitigated disaster in Jacksonville. I am all for bringing up your wins. I am all for celebrating things that you did well. Us three and everybody else in the world should not get credit for knowing that this was not going to work out. We all have Google. We all know Urban Meyer's history and how he just is as a leader, how he treats other people, and how the results just happen at the end of the day. It never works out. Like, it always ends like this. For just talking about the thing that happened on Saturday, apparently the 38-year-old 
a woman who he met up with. Like that wasn't the first time. So that is a problem in itself. On Monday, he apparently canceled the team meeting because he didn't want to show his freaking face to the team. Like what? How? How is this? He, a he thing? didn't make the flight. He didn't make the flight back, which is a whole other thing. Like <sighs> you're making the lot. flight back, and you're not. You're. Oh man! But oh yeah, man! Lot. Laughing in his oh, face. Okay. Nobody takes him seriously. How could like? I don't know what they. Shad, uh, the owner, said that they're going to give him more time to essentially work this out. I don't know what Urban's buyout is. But essentially, they're not going to pay. They're not not going to pay him fifty million not to coach, right? So they kind of have to go through whatever it is going on. Um, it just spells like a recipe for disaster. I don't know what the Jags were thinking to begin with. Now they're in. Now now they're stuck. Essentially, um, what where do they go from here? One of my buddies covers the Jaguars. I was talking to him last night, and I go, "How do how do you feel about this whole thing? Are you are you sad that this is probably going to come to an end?" And he told me. I hate not being able to go to sleep at night wondering what I'm going to wake up to in the morning. <laughs> so he said that, and then uh, he was at practice today, and the players uh, broke the huddle by saying grind. I saw I so, heard that. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's not looking good. I mean, the, the worst thing about Urban, right, he's coming off as disingenuous, right? He's coming off as a liar. And he's coming off as a person who repeatedly seems like he doesn't know where to draw the line. And that level, the the combination of those three things puts players in a position where they don't know if they're going to be put in a position to succeed, if they're going to be put in a position to be a scapegoat at some point, right? That that's what really matters, right? At the end of the day with all this stuff Um, beyond just urban, just showing once again, like probably not an A-class human, Right. Um, it's even with people who are close to him, um, just the uneasiness of like, do we trust this guy and how that matters? Right. We, we talked about it on this podcast where guys who come in and they want to be that leadership culture type of person. Right. That type of brand as a head coach, you have to come in and you have to get some wins early because you have to build that momentum moving forward. And I don't even necessarily think it has to be winning ball games. Like I think Dan Campbell right now, he's building equity with his players. They're they're sticking in some of these tough games against playoff contenders, right? They might not be able to make that last step right now, but at least there's some proof of concept, right? Urban, we're not seeing it at all. I mean, he's coming in after the presser and he's like, you know, asking, hey, did we have a turnover? No, dang it. And then he's just looking at his feet the entire time while he's doing it. And then his players go on a flight by themselves back to Jacksonville while he sticks in Ohio. It's bad. It's bad. And the other thing, too, is once you get to that point where it's, hey, this guy doesn't necessarily know how to draw the line and people just kind of let him just live, right? Where it's what happened with Zach Smith at Ohio State how his wife I'm sure feels right now about the whole situation. And they just let him cook because it's urban Meyer, right? Look at what USC has had to deal with recently. Look at what LSU has had to deal with recently with the guy stuff. At some point that becomes a burnt bridge for him going back to college football. So I don't even know if he can get a college football head coaching job right now. Like he might be, he might need Jacksonville more than Jacksonville needed him which completely flips the situation Jesus, from where we take. were at in February. Right. It's it's not great, man, but that's where we're at right now. I mean, blame Urban. He's the one who did it. 
always yeah. blame Urban. The title of this podcast should be Blame Urban. Um, <laughs> you can you can go to Shelly, his wife, his Twitter account, and go through her likes, and that is an adventure in itself. Um, so you've coached, Justice. You know that whenever it's a long game, whenever it's a long weekend, I mean, the coach is going to get up in front of the team, say, all right, y'all, great game. Take care of yourself this weekend. Stay out of trouble. Give you that whole spill. And then two days later, you see him – Doing that, you see him all over the internet. Um, how do you treat? You can't trust this guy, man. There's he has no equity. You talk about building equity. He's done nothing to earn the trust of his players. Uh, we mentioned that they're laughing in his face. And then come Monday, Urban was saying, you know, the backbone of this team is the players. Like the leadership is on them. He just doesn't seem like he takes any ounce of ownership at all, and that has to be terrifying, especially if I'm the one paying him. Well. Dude, the, wor- the worst part of this is when he was talking to the media and he's like, yeah, it's just so painful to ask for forgiveness. And he didn't tell the players the truth. And then the next video came out where, where the woman was like, someone really got a video of Irvin Meyer trying to stick his finger up my butt. What are we doing here, bud? You cannot, you cannot. People have eyes. People have eyes. People in that locker room have eyes. You can't spin that that way and just assume that your word is going to go unchecked. This isn't college football. That's what we were talking about when we were talking about, hey, do we really know what Urban signed up for Right in the past three weeks? That's the difference. It's that players will laugh at you. You know, They're not dependent on you necessarily. So Yeah, you can't just pull their scholarship here. Yeah, and that's, that's – yeah, that's we've talked about it on this podcast. Like in the NFL, these guys are professionals and there's got to be a level of respect between your working relationship. You're not above being criticized in the NFL, especially if you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And it doesn't seem like Urban Meyer is holding up his end of the bargain in any way to the point where your players just have no respect for you at all. Like, Honestly, the best thing Jacksonville could probably do right now if, you know, and they don't want to fire him or part ways with him and have to pay him money not to coach is just, all right, Urban, you're just the head coach, like, as a figurehead now. Like, we got to hand this thing over to the coaching staff and the coordinators to try to get this thing figured out and get these players to respect the guys that they're working with every day because you lost it and you're not going to get it back. Charlie Strong, come on down. So, like, just one last thing on this from from my end. The the biggest difference, right, between college football and the NFL, like you guys said, is the relationship with the players. If Trevor Lawrence right now just – if Trevor Lawrence so much as tweeted, I would like a new head coach, Urban Meyer would be gone within the hour, right? Because Urban Meyer is not the most important person to the, the long-term success of the Jacksonville Jaguars anymore. Is he That's top the, 10? I mean, they don't have very many players. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's part of the problem in Jacksonville. But, I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, so could he get fired at the end of this weekend? I think there's a possibility. If they get routed by Tennessee, I'm sure I'm sure they could be like, why the hell are we even doing this? We're 0-5. Let's get him out before he even gets a win he, so he can't even build momentum. Let's just, like, rip this scar off right now. Our uh, second favorite person to discuss on this podcast is Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, who Mike Tomlin informed us this week. He is dealing with a hip injury. They're not sure that it's necessarily going to make him miss time. They're kind of 
seeing how it goes. But uh, the Steelers' offense is bad. They can't score. Ben can't throw the football. Ben can't move. Now he's got bad hips. It's all bad on that side of the ball for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. And Ben is doing what's the Ben that we know and love always does and saying, we got to take a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out who we want to be as a football team. When you see a video of Juju Smith Schuster on the sideline, who had an opportunity to sign with the chiefs, by the way, and chose to go back to Pittsburgh on a one year deal saying Ben's the problem. This offense isn't working because of Ben Roethlisberger. It's not going to get better. Right. Like we, we know that definitively, like we can definitively say that about the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. As long as Ben is their quarterback, it's just simply not going to get better this football season. No. And uh, in the post game, you know, Matt LaFleur was talking about the defense and he was saying, Hey, you know, one thing that we're not going to do is use certain teams as a measuring stick because you just can't rely on, you know, an offense not executing consistently to like look at your defense. That's always a bad sign. Yeah, that's always a bad that that's that's as close to like NFL coach speak of a head coach being like this dude is buns he can't play anymore that you're gonna get. Um, so, I mean, dude, it's over. It, it is what it is. I mean, they're in the like late stage Eli Manning Giants uh, stage of this Pittsburgh Steelers run. They don't have a quarterback and. That's what it is at the end of the day, I guess. So Big Ben is near the bottom of the league in air yards per attempt. And when he checked it down at- on fourth down again, he threw it to the running back again. It, it's happened. Uh, my buddy Keegan, who works for Next Gen Stats, ran it. It's happened six times this whole season. And Ben Roethlisberger's done it twice in, in back-to-back games. So Unbelievable, man. Just a guppy. Just a guppy. Here are the quarterbacks with a worse EPA per play than Big Ben. Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. What do the other quarterbacks have in common? (laughs) And what does Big – like Big Ben has been there, done that, right? He's he's a veteran. I don't know what they're expecting. I don't – but we talk about the same thing every week. It's not going to get better. It wasn't good last year, so why do they think it would get better? Um, yeah, they're just wasting it. They have talent on that side of the ball, and they're wasting a lot of it right now just because they can't do anything on offense because their quarterback cannot throw the ball. And they're in a rock and a hard place now, and I don't know where they go, like what direction they go. If this, like if this was – I haven't looked at their schedule, but if this was supposed to be the easy part, then look out because, oh, man – I don't they haven't played the Browns yet, right? They haven't played the Ravens yet. And you have to imagine who's there who's the NFC North cross schedule this year? Um it must be it's AFC. Not the AFC East. It's a, a AFC East or AFC North, NFC North. Okay, so they oh yeah, yeah, it's NFC North. So a little lucky there, but still, I mean they're a pathetic offense, and a lot of it is due to the, the quarterback. That quote that you said before said, I'm surprised that's not getting more run. And maybe it's just because the Steelers are winless and they're not you know, as big as we're used to, but that, that says it all. Well, Pittsburgh media can't get out of their own way. I mean, it just seems like they just publish you know, ben, Ben's excuses unchecked. I, I get he's – you know, I get it. Two Super Bowl rings, you don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe that it's over, but – 
But he was over would, last year. I would think if you're a Steelers, <laughs> yeah. I would think if you're a Steelers fan, you would actually actively want Ben gone, right? Because you'd be like, I want a better team than what we're getting right now. It's just I want to win. It's going to be tough for them to win. I mean, the offensive line issues, right? Um, is one thing. And then Ben Roethlisberger, it's just there's so few ways that you can win games in the NFL without a solid offensive line or a solid quarterback. You know, they're probably going to finish as a bottom 10 team, but they're not going to finish bad enough to where they could grab, you know, a top five pick for a quarterback. I guess, you know, maybe we'll get into this, you know, later on in the season, but it doesn't look like this upcoming quarterback class is all that either. Well, it's, yeah, that's not great for them either. And they probably should have had a plan in place to figure this out ahead of time. But we've seen Mason Rudolph as a starter and it's not good either. But like this season feels like, well, you're just not going to win this season. So should you just keep trotting Ben out there every week? And he's probably eventually going to get hurt because he's old and he's already been dealing with multiple injuries this week. Or should you just give Mason Rudolph a look and, and see what happens? Because it can't get much worse than it is right now for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Flip a coin, man, between Rudolph and Haskins and whoever plays, whoever messes up, just just go full blind Brian Flores last year and just keep rotating quarterbacks because whatever they're doing right now is not working. And to think that it's going to improve is just like you're you're not watching what's going on. It's not fair to the rest of the team, honestly. What do you like? Yeah. What do you do if you're the Steelers? Like who is a top backup you can even trade for right now that could compete in like, no, like, are we talking about like, Hey, should they make a trade with uh, Buffalo for Trubisky? Go like, trade for Jimmy it, G. I got one for Jimmy. You. Jimmy's not going to be healthy enough to get traded. That's not true. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. They're just in a tough spot. I mean, this was something that probably, I mean, like, we're looking at this from the perspective of October, right? This is something that should have been addressed in the off season. So this is what happens when you, when you let the quarterback stick around a little too long, I guess. And looking at another uh, AFC North team, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, I don't want to say made headlines, but they obviously beat the Denver Broncos over the weekend and head coach Vic Fangio was not happy with the way the Ravens chose to end the game to keep their 100-yard game rushing streak intact. They decided to run a play with, I think, three or four seconds left on the clock just to get that last little bit of yardage that they need to keep the record going. And Vic Fangio was really not happy about it. But, I mean, Vic's old. I'm not surprised that Vic is upset about this. But who are you to tell different teams what records they should care about. The Ravens are one of the most unique rushing offenses we've ever seen in the NFL. I am all for them wanting to keep this record intact, and I don't give a damn about Vic Fangio's feelings or how upset he is about it. I think he was – it. so we know why he was mad. It goes deeper than what happened in the game. But part of that has to be that his game plan just massively failed because they wanted to do everything in their power to prevent the 40, or to prevent the Ravens from getting 100 yards, and Lamar was just picking them apart, just dropping back in like a straight drop-back passing game, going to his guys, going to Hollywood over the top, hitting Andrews on, the, on those typical corner routes that he does, and just looking like a confident passer, man. Lamar is a special player, and I think a lot of that has to do with it, but we got to talk about what John Harbaugh said because after that, I'm ready to crown him as the best coach in the NFL based on his quotes alone. I wish there, there was more slander like that every week because – 
we should like these guys are making millions of dollars. They know what they know what it's like. They have these type of relationships. But still, um, to be able to just tell it how it is uh, with some of the quotes that Harbaugh had, I loved every second of that. And I, I just wish we had more of it. Yeah, Harbaugh. What what was his quote? It was like, uh, "There's no 16 point yeah. play." So no why are you throwing it play that you can score in the last minute of the game? He had a few of them. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, really, it seems like what's buzzing in like the coaching community is you know this Fangio stuff runs a little bit deeper with Harbaugh. Uh, Fangio was there with Billick uh, originally with the Ravens, and then he 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 uh, was a uh, what 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 would you call it a stayover. Um, when Harbaugh took over the team, eventually he lost a political battle. And then that's why he went back to the college ranks and, and coached with Harbaugh and then moved up with him when he took the Niners gig. So there's some bad blood there uh, in general. I think that's why, you know, the Fangio stuff, it wasn't even necessarily Harbaugh. He, he cut down to the program, right? He was like, that's how that team runs. They don't care about players' safety. Yeah. It comes second. Like a, a great example of hurt people hurt people, right? Just Just being mad. Just seeing red. So it was on Vic Fangio, if anything, because Harbaugh said I mean, you could you could have stopped them. You could have yeah. stopped them from going for 100 rushing yards. That's always also true. that's on the table. But Harbaugh said they didn't expect to get the ball back, and that's why it happened to begin with. So that's where that quote came back from when Harbaugh said, I didn't know that there was a 16-point touchdown. He didn't understand why the, why the Broncos were throwing right there. So if you don't throw the ball, you don't give the Ravens the ball back, and this is never an issue. Um, of course, Fangio doesn't acknowledge that part of the argument, but yeah, man, I, he's just hurt. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's in his feelings for just getting his butt whipped. He just said, that's how they do things. So for that. <laughs> that's, how, that's how they run things in that football organization. Everybody um, knows the Ravens are a terrible, terribly ran organization. Right? Yeah. Yes. The the people being hurt after the loss is one of the best things. I, I think a lot of people, because of the delay, on Monday night, missed the post-game presser that uh, John Gruden had, where Gruden just starts ranting about the away locker room in SoFi Stadium. He's like, oh, it's like a maze. You can't even get through it. It's an awful, <laughs> awful away locker room. And the people are like, this is like the fourth time you've been in that stadium already. Like, what, what are we doing here? And it's just, just moments of people being hurt, seeing red, just lashing out. It's great. Shanahan usually speaks for like 30 seconds after a loss, and he'll speak for like 10 minutes after a win. They just want nothing to do with you after a loss, man. They're so yeah. in their feelings. Uh, before we take a quick timeout, let's actually zero in on the 49ers. Uh, starting quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo did not play the second half over the weekend, dealing with a calf injury, but it's been reported this week. It was not as bad as they originally feared. Uh, he's kind of day-to-day. There's a chance that he could play this week. Trey Lance, the last rookie quarterback who has not been officially named his team starter, played the entire second half for the 49ers. He's 9 of 18, 157 yards, and two touchdowns. So, KP, how did this offense change with Trey Lance? Should he definitively be the starting quarterback moving forward, whether Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy or not? So the reason that people thought that Jimmy G was not going to play is because of what Jimmy G said and how he was acting at the podium after the game. He made it sound like his season wasn't necessarily over, but that he was going to miss like a month, like he was going to miss some serious time. But the offense, so they didn't have a game plan. And Shanahan said that after the game, this game plan was not built for Trey Lance. You could tell that because they had no idea of the type of plays to run for him. And he just looked like a chicken with his head cut off a lot of times where um, he would get to the top of his drop, see 
look at a receiver, the receiver, even if he was open, he was probably going to pull that bad boy down and run. So he just looked like a guy who was playing scout team for the last month. So that was to be expected. Still, though, the more the game went on, the better he got. And I think that was really promising. The game started to slow down for him a little bit. And he started to just look more comfortable in the pocket. He stood tall in the pocket and made some throws. He has a hose of an arm. I think that's going to help him. Shanahan called more throws down the field in that half than I've seen him call all year. And I wonder why that's the case. Um, we saw Trey Sermon have two of his longest runs of the season with Trey Lance under center. I wonder why that's the case. So if you just put connect the dots of what they can be on offense with him, knowing that he didn't turn the ball over in a second half where they're just he dropped back to pass 24 times in the half where there was no type of game plan for him. And he didn't come close to turning the ball over. Whereas, as we saw with Jimmy in the first half, as we saw with Jimmy last game against the Packers, he just he's going to turn the ball over. It's inevitable. He has a hard time of figuring out what that tricky robber defender is, even though he's 29 years old. And he's been starting in the NFL for quite a bit, but um, it's the same mistakes over and over. And when that's the case, knowing that there's a ceiling on the offense, I think it's pretty clear that Lance should be the starter. I imagine he will be, and this will be an audition because they have the Cardinals and they have a bye week after. So, I mean, the keys are there for Lance to take and drive this drive away with this offense. I, I think he's going to be the starter, and I think it's in the best interest for this team. The other thing, too, I think, is like the pressure's on with Shanahan now, yes. right? I mean, you can say the rookie's not ready, um, but – you traded for Jimmy Garoppolo in season and you were starting games with him and winning games with him within a month. You've had Trey Lance since April. Uh, you made that trade much longer or much, much earlier than that for three first round picks for that pick. So at some point the guy's got to be able to play. So that that's on Shanahan's plate now. Yeah, they haven't done a good job of developing at all. He's been playing scout team this entire time. Hasn't been really getting any reps and it showed when he played, but um, I just don't understand the thought process of investing that much in one player, considering the position that he plays, knowing that you were probably going to need him because your previous quarterback has not made it out of September, has not made it out of week four in the past four to five years without getting injured. So um, you, you essentially bet against history and shocker that you lost. But um, yeah, I don't know, man, just get your rookie ready. He's going to be the future. He's probably going to be the now and, there, there really aren't any excuses that he shouldn't be more prepared. Yeah, he's the future of your franchise. You invested heavily to go up and get him. And you're a team that had like Super Bowl aspirations headed into the season and you're playing in the toughest division in football. So you should give yourself the best chance to win. And if that means Trey Lance is the best chance you have, he should probably be in the football game over Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, we do need to take a quick time out. When we get back, we're going to take a look at two of the top teams in the NFC and try to navigate this AFC that seems like it's totally up in the air right now. That's next on NFL University. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. Thank you guys for joining us each and every week on this fine program. I do have to ask if you listen to us on a weekly basis and enjoy everything that we do, please subscribe, rate, and review. 
this show specifically, but also everything that we're doing on the SB Nation NFL show. We got shows all throughout the week, tons of great content for you. So we would very much appreciate a five-star review. Fellas, we do weekly power rankings at Arrowhead Pride, and obviously they've been moving around a lot as we try to figure out who we truly believe is the best team in the NFL. I put the Dallas Cowboys as the number one team in my NFL power rankings this week. They're three and one. They look like they finally have a defense. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. Dak Prescott looks like he's got his arm back to normal. He was really rifling some throws over the weekend against a good defense in the Carolina Panthers. Am I overestimating the Cowboys or are they truly, you know, atop the NFL or at least one of the three best teams in the league right now? I would say that, you know, they have the inside track on getting the one seed in the NFC, right? Just because of their schedule, what what they're able to do offensively. I think their defense is – I'm not willing to praise their defense the same way other people are. Um, turnovers, we know turnovers are weird. When when Diggs is uh, on pace to have like 25 interceptions for the season, I think we can all point to that and say, hey, that's that's probably not going to happen. That line is not just going to continue for the next four months. Um, but I do think that they've been really good on the offensive side. I mean, Dak right now, if you say – you know, if, if someone said that they thought that he was going to win MVP this season – they have a point. Um, I, I think he's been one of the more consistent quarterbacks uh, throughout the year. Um, you know, the first half of that Bucks game uh, aside. So I, I think they are real in that, like, they're going to be a playoff team. They're going to be in contention for that one seed. I don't know if, like, talent-wise, I would say they're a top three team in the league. But if nothing else, they're in that conversation. Is this like a Peyton Manning mid-2000s Colts team? where they might light it up in the regular season and maybe struggle a bit just because their defense can't get stops once it comes to playoff time. Because you mentioned the defense and the turnover. So they lead the league in turnover differential right now. It's plus seven. And that's that doesn't seem like it's sustainable. And that's not a knock on them. It's just because the freaking cornerback's probably not going to have an interception every game. Like that's that just is what it is. But when you go back to their offense, they're the number one rushing DVOA team. And that's sustainable. By the way, you can yes. tell that's sustainable by the way that they play just with their offensive line. They have two really good running backs who complement each other very well. And they have a quarterback who just is a surgeon who will dissect you, who will get to the right spots. Before the ball is snapped, Dak usually wins. And when you have Amari um, on the outside, when you have CD and you can move him around a little bit. And then we talked about their two tight ends before the game. Like they have guys who can win all over the place. So if you play man against them, he will shred you because their guys on the outside can win. If you sit in zone, he will shred you. So there, it's really a catch-22 for this Cowboys offense um, on how to stop them, how to attack them. But I do wonder, you know, once it comes to against the Bucks or against one of the top teams in the FC, against the Rams, like how are they going to be able to um, go blow for blow with them on both sides of the ball? And that's where I would be a little bit concerned. But I, I think that there's no doubt that this is going to be one of the best teams in the NFL because of Dak and because of that offense. It is not fair. And I can only imagine the more we get into the season, Kellen Moore is going to have just more curveballs and more changeups to get his guys open to move them around. And that'll be fun to watch just to see how creative that they can get on that side of the ball. Because one of the big issues that I had coming into the season was, are they going to be a Mike McCarthy offense? Is it going to be just like a slam flat? Are they going to run stagnant rounds? What, what, which we talk about, you know, with the Cardinals and 
none of that is happening right now. They have exceeded expectations well above like what I thought that they would be. And uh, kudos to Kellen Moore for that. Yeah, I think the thing with Dallas, right, is you have to wonder if one, if they're not playing at home, if they don't get that one seed, right, they're going to have to be on the road and they're going to have some tough games outdoors. Um, think of the Bucks. think of the Rams, think of the Packers in the NFC. All those teams can run the ball down your throat if you ask them to do that. When you have uh, a Tyler Higbee or a Rob Gronkowski or even a Mercedes Lewis, who's the Packers blocking tight end, right, and he's very good at his job. Once you get those guys on Randy Gregory, on Micah Parsons, where right. you're, you're taking advantage of those speed rushers and you're saying, no, you actually – like we're going to make you set the edge and that's how you're going to have to win this ball game right here. That's when I start having questions about this Dallas defense because um, I think they're kind of they're kind of getting away with things is the way that I would kind of put it because of their their offense can score points so it puts them in in weird game flow situations and then they're just they're manifesting turnovers it's just happening for them and we know that that can't happen week to week so. Trayvon Diggs isn't going to continue to have interceptions every week like it's just certainly not sustainable but. The reason I'm confident enough to put them as the number one team in my power rankings is because of that offense. Like that offense is in the Chiefs ballpark. It's in the Bucks ballpark and maybe the Cardinals ballpark or the Rams, like these top elite offenses in the NFL, they can score with anybody. And like we've seen with the Chiefs in the past couple of years, you just need your defense to be like middle of the pack. And, and I think this Cowboys defense has enough talent to where they can definitely be that. So even if they don't keep up this pace, as long as Dak is incredible and they'll get Michael Gallup back at some point this season, who's a super underrated wide receiver, like I think they're the best team in the NFC right now. I still think the Bucks could be the most talented team top to bottom but they've just got so many injuries in the secondary right now. Like we saw Mac Jones kind of carve up that secondary on Sunday night. And that that's just how bad it is for them right now as they try to get healthy. But the Cowboys are exciting. This is, this is the best Cowboys team I've, I've seen in a long time, in my opinion. I think that was a good point with Justice said, like teams are kind of bailing them out. So the Eagles could have had a bunch of yards, I feel like, with Miles Sanders, and they just didn't do anything. They, they looked disinterested in running the ball. It seemed like last year or last week that the Panthers had a few opportunities, whether it's on fourth down, um, just to keep putting pressure on Dallas's defense. And for whatever reason, they thought that they could stop the offense. So I think going against a more experienced head coach will do a lot for them as well. Um, when we get to you know the crunch time, the playoffs, whether it's McVay, whether it's Aaron's, whether it's LaFleur, um, guys who kind of know how to win and know that. Dallas is probably going to score. So with that in mind, I'm going to do what I need to do on the other side of the ball to keep either Dallas offense off the field or to keep putting pressure on them to score. And I think that will be the difference um, come the end of the season. The other team that I want to take a look at in the NFC, the Arizona Cardinals, last undefeated team in the NFL, coming off a huge victory over the Los Angeles Rams. What do we got for Cliff this week, guys? Like, I mean... It's he's been the guy that we like to criticize every week, and I think deservedly so. But that was an impressive win against the Los Angeles Rams, who we thought at least a lot of people were naming them the best team in the NFL prior to that football game. He's feeling himself way too much for my liking. Um, did you, Scott? Did you guys see what he said after his press conference? He's I, I, see, I saw he had the chest hair popping out. That was enough <laughs> for me. 
he's making Ted Lasso references. He he thinks that Ted La- Lasso stole his whole um, swag from him, which, come on, man. Um, I want to give Cliff a little bit of credit, but I feel like we should just give Kyler Murray all the credit, and that would be much more fair because it, nothing's really changed, like that what he's asking his offense to do. Like he's still – I don't want to call it vanilla, but he's still calling the same things that he's always been calling, whether it's this year, whether it's last year. He just has better players. And Kyler's playing out of his mind. Kyler's executing at a level that's really unbelievable. Like, if the Chiefs did not exist, we would be talking about how great this Cardinals offense, how efficient this Cardinals offense is. And a lot of that is because the 5'6 quarterback that they have who has a rocket arm and runs a 4'3 and just does everything right, it seems like. It seems like he does a really good job of just always – I don't know. He just gives his guys the right the – right, opportunity you would have no idea that aj green is their leading receiver but he is even watching the game it doesn't seem like like how is he their number one receiver um he's i guess to cliff's credit he's moving deandre hopkins around like a little bit but i mean they they have really good players they have a really good quarterback and that's why cliff looks like a good coach right now in my opinion i could be wrong justice how wrong am i no i agree with you i mean if you watch if you watch that game which i did i've watched it on monday because i always like to keep up with games where i'm like what the hell happened in that right because right. i thought i thought the rams were going to come in and win that so i went and watched it I, I guess the way i would describe that game kyler blacked out like some of the throws that he's making I, you you're not giving cliff credit <laughs> for some of those throws there's there's not a human on earth who watches that and they're like Wow, I can't believe the coach did that. No, Great that was <laughs> that, that was Kyler Murray, but um, it was that combined with Stafford just missing a couple deep shots, combined with um, really, if you look at so not to get too nerdy on here, right? But um, the fourth down decisions that the Rams had, they left about twelve points on the board just by not going for it. So the it's like the combination of those three things, right? You have a quarterback who's missing balls. Uh, in a way that he usually doesn't. You have a coach who got real conservative, right? And then you have Kyler Murray blacking out. That's the story of how the Arizona Cardinals won that game, which is why I'm not willing to prop up the Cardinals or like tear down the Rams after after watching what happened. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, Kyler, you want to call him an MVP candidate? He's certainly deserved it this year. He's blacking out. He's playing great. He has great receivers. They're making – just highlight plays consistently. Um, we'll, we'll see if that's something that's sustainable. Uh, you know, we watched Kyler early on last season. He was kind of in, not necessarily the leader for the MVP conversation, but he was at least in the conversation in general. And then later on, as the year uh, continued, we saw it was more of just uh, him making plays with his legs and that that wasn't something defensive coordinators were willing to allow to happen for the rest of the season. So I guess that's something to watch out, you know, as the season moves along. He does Kyler this season to me, and maybe it's just because they're young quarterbacks. Like I'm not trying to overlook what Aaron Rodgers did in his MVP season last year, but like, to me, it feels like, like you said, like he's playing unconscious right now. And that was, how it felt when you watched Mahomes in his uh, NFL MVP season, when you watched Lamar in his MVP season, like those dudes, there was just, it didn't really matter what help he was getting or help he wasn't getting. Like they were just going to go out every single week and drop 35 to 40 points on you. And it just seems like that's what Kyler's doing. Like it's just that special kind of season, at least for Kyler Murray so far where 
he's just absolutely lights out every week and there's nothing you're going to do to stop it. Yeah, he's taking two steps and then hitting a backside post in the red zone. That's not a normal thing that you usually have to handle. Um, Good luck. Yeah, he, he's a great talent. Um, he's going to make a ton of money. I'm very happy he's playing football instead of baseball. Are you saying he wouldn't have more fun playing second base with the Texas Rangers right now? Yeah, on a bus to Tulsa and Birmingham <laughs> and Macon, Georgia. Yeah, I'm sure he would have loved to do that. And before we get out of here, I want to take a look at the hierarchy of the AFC through four weeks of the regular season. There's seven three and one teams so far, and that doesn't include the Chiefs, who are two and two. And obviously, huge matchup on Sunday night football between the Bills and the Chiefs. The Bills have been playing lights out. Chiefs defense really struggling. This game shaping up to be like massive offensive output type of game. The NFC feels a little bit more top heavy than the AFC. Like, I think I could say that you assume the Chiefs are going to be in the conversation. Like, the, the rails haven't fallen off of this thing yet, despite their defense being one of the worst in the NFL. But I'm still kind of trying to see who that AFC team is who's ready to create some separation because the Bills have been playing fantastic. I'm still not convinced that it's them. Ravens have their issues. Browns have been up and down. I'm certainly not sold on the Cincinnati Bengals. So I'm curious how you guys feel about the top of the AFC and who we think like are the Chiefs and Bills on Sunday night. Is that still the top two teams in the AFC so far this season? Or do we need to start putting some other teams in that category? Uh, Coming in season, I I thought the Bills were going to be the top seed in the AFC. I just thought that Josh Allen would continue to grow. Um, I still don't understand Emmanuel Sanders. I, I, I don't think people understand how good Emmanuel Sanders is, and we're starting to see that, just how important he is to that offense. But, I mean, they're, they're a little bit predictable. I think you have to be able to run the ball, and I also think you have to be able to get stops. They cannot do either of those things. I like the Ravens, man. I think that Greg Roman's kind of getting out of his own way and just letting Lamar being Lamar. They The way that they're playing without having a number one threat still is pretty scary. What he did, he did that to a Fangio defense. Like he is playing at a very high level. And I think that their defense is going to start to figure it out too, especially as they get more and more healthy. But I like the Ravens. I'm not going to trust the Browns as long as Baker Mayfield is on that team. Um, I don't he had know. a bad one last week. And he, bad one he last was week. not great the week before either. So maybe this is just who Baker is. I mean, there's always been questions about, you know, how much he's really bringing to the table. But some of the misses that he had last week were like, whoa, man, you you just can't do that. So the Broncos are three and one and they just got blown out by the Ravens, obviously. And I don't know if you want to call it blown out by the score, but the game wasn't close. I don't know what to think about them. I'm still you know, I want to see them going against, you know, another quality contender. But it's we talk about it being top heavy. I just don't trust many of those teams. Sure, the Chargers might, but I mean. I think they still need to figure it out with Staley. Um, I think it always comes back to the Ravens. I, I'm going to pick them as, you know, the cream of the crop. What do you think, Justice? They're the one that, like, they don't have the fatal flaw, right? I guess is the big thing. Where you look at the Chiefs, they can't they can't stop anyone. I could score on the Chiefs. <laughs> the Bills haven't played yeah. anyone, really. Um, they lost to Pittsburgh because they were, you know, able to basically set an edge on on uh, Josh Allen it'll be interesting to see if Kansas City does the same thing because if that becomes a fatal flaw 
that that's very interesting. They also like just stay in eleven personnel, so you can kind of beat them up a little bit. Um, the the Chargers are a really good football team. The problem is their front seven. They don't have the horses in the front seven. So you could look at like the Dallas Cowboys game, and one of the reasons the Cowboys defense or offense looks so good is because they were just able to run it down yeah. their throat, and they can't do a damn thing about it. Um, so it's really more like wait and see for me, honestly. Like the trade deadline is going to be really interesting in the AFC too. You know, once once we start getting you know zero and five teams and you know one and five teams who they decide to like start picking prying away from other teams is going to be interesting because I think all these teams have room for growth at this point in the season. You know, they could all improve their rosters. So if they could figure out a way how to make the cap space work and you're tossing fifth, six round picks for, for veteran players who can start for you basically immediately. You know, I, I think we're probably going to see it this year. It's still the Kansas City Chiefs because as soon as they get Willie Gay back, this defense <laughs> everything around. And then they're going to sign Jalen Smith, and then all of a sudden this is going to be a top 10 defense. It's like the uh, Packers, right? We're just waiting for B.J. Raji to come out of retirement. It's only been yeah. like seven years. Yeah, and, Are the Raiders a thing? I think they're good. Um, I, I, would, I would pick the Chargers over the Raiders because – we talked about their defense last week and the Raiders defense was still like showing me stuff in that game. And they were still a little bit more impressive going against Justin Herbert, but I still think they're going to have issues when they go against these top tier teams, because I don't have faith in that defense long-term. I still think the chiefs and the bills are probably up there. Ravens up there. I'm a little disappointed in the Browns so far this season. I really thought they were going to look like they're legitimately one of those upper echelon teams and they've got all the talent, but yeah, Baker was just awful. Even in his post-game press conference, Baker was just like, what the hell was that? I don't know. That that was just an awful game. I was terrible. Couldn't hit anybody. There's just, you know, it's just, I got to be better, but the chargers are the team that's really, really intriguing to me because they're still figuring things out. And Justin Herbert is incredible. And Mike Williams is having the best season of his career and they've got a younger offensive line now. So if Derwin James stays healthy and that defense keeps playing the way that it is like the chargers are the team that I think I'm most worried about, like from a chief's perspective in this division, like if they keep figuring things out and developing, they could legitimately win this thing or challenge the chiefs for the AFC West. If I were the chargers, I'd be calling the Falcons every day and I'd be like, Hey, what, what's up with Grady Jarrett? Yeah. Yep. What's up with Grady Jarrett? Because we need a defensive tackle worse than any team, you know, in the in the country right now. Uh, speaking of post game pressers and the Raiders, you guys see what Bosa said talking yeah. about Derek Carr. He Jeez. was like, "Hey man, you start hitting him, he starts acting a little different. Great guy, great player, folds like a lawn chair. That was tough. He almost word for word said that and had no issue with saying that too which was wild like oh so this is just accepted this is how your team feels about this quarterback so yeah well, maybe when we talk about the Raiders uh, maybe we should acknowledge how other players in the NFL feel about their starting quarterback that was crazy did, but again I wish we would get more of that like why not keep it real man did you guys see I can't remember specifically who it was I wish I could give him credit but somebody actually like dove into the numbers on how fast quarterbacks get rid of the ball the play after getting sacked or hit and Derek Carr was just light years ahead of everybody else like in getting rid of the ball fast 
the immediate play after he got sacked or hit in any way, he was just like tenfold faster at getting rid of the football than anybody else in the NFL. And Mahomes, there was just like no change. It's like no change after a sack. He doesn't he does not care. Hit him all day. He doesn't care. He's still going to throw forty yard bombs on. You would actually prefer if he's in the grasp of the defender to throw the ball. Is what it seems yeah, like this year. Yeah. <laughs> still so, a violent sport, guys. Still a violent sport. This is NFL University. Thank you guys so much for listening to us each and every week. You can follow KP on Twitter at KP underscore show. You can follow Justice at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week.